couple of weekends ago, our family had opportunity at a, a state park in Pennsylvania to go on an old growth hemlock tree tour. Now, you can imagine my excitement when we show up at the park for this tree tour and we wait for it to begin with the, the forest or the naturalist. You can also imagine the lack of excitement from my children. We were the only family on the tour, which is the perfect way to get a tour because then you can ask all the questions you want. You get the hands-on, upfront experience of doing it. And so, so here, we, we walk up, and we're, we're asked to guess the age of this first tree. Now, the forester has, has certain trees throughout our hike already marked, so he's already done the, the analysis and taken the core sample and counted the tree rings under, a, under a, a magnifying glass. And so we get to the first tree, and I, I measure this tree based on my extensive knowledge of trees, which is the trees that grow in my backyard. And the, the giant oak tree in my yard, which when it had to come down because it had rotted all the way through, it was a huge tree, but only 60 years old. And so this is just a much smaller tree, and so this tree must, must be very young. And so I guess a very, well, embarrassingly low number. My daughter, Leah, nails it. I mean, she's right on. She knows that's a 50-year-old tree. And so as we're, as we're on the hike, we're, we're going through, and, and we get to this, this, this tree with an enormous circumference. We get to see the, 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 the height of the tree stretching to the skies, and, and we're told, and now our guesses are much closer, we're told that this tree is 260 years old. Now, there's this skinny and straggly tree. That wasn't the oldest. We, we got to see over a 300-year-old tree. The, the, the skinny, straggly tree just down the hill from it. Now we're asked to guess its age. Now we go from the 260 to this skinny, well, I'm not going to make the same mistake I made the first time and, and embarrass myself with a really bad guess, and so I think I've nailed it. Somewhere in the 70s, I guess. No, this skinny, straggly tree is 292 years old. See, I was going based on its growth just based on what was right in front of me. Big must be old. Skinny must be young. But I'd forgotten all of the lessons that I'd learned already on the hike. There are other factors to consider. The height of the tree. You have to, to consider whether or not this tree has direct access to sunlight or has it been trapped under this dark canopy of other trees its whole lifetime. You have to, to, to take all of this into consideration. And so this tree, despite its advanced age, was not nearly as mature as big, as strong as I would have expected. Now, part of my excitement on our, on our walk was, was asking questions and immediately saying, this will preach. <laughs> now, you might not always walk, I mean, that's one of the things that my children sort of roll their eyes at is, really? This is going to be a sermon illustration? Well, it also let me, let me, talk about the gospel with our tour guide because I'm saying, I think this will preach. We're going to be in Ephesians in just a couple of weeks looking at the growth of the church and, and the maturity of Christian believers. And so I'm, and my kids just kind of roll their eyes like, oh, here we go again. But, but you see, what, what is the Apostle Paul telling us here in Ephesians? You are meant to grow in gospel maturity. You are meant to grow in gospel unity as a church. But sometimes we, we only look at what's right in front of us. We want, we want a quick fix. We want an easy answer. And so strategically, we've, you want, how, do you, how do I grow? Well, we've tried to give you some, uh, some straightforward suggestions. 
You need to be in worship so that you're lifting your voice in praise to God and, and hearing the word taught. But, but second, we want you in Sunday school so that you're learning the word of God. We want you in community groups so that you're applying the word of God. But, but sometimes that's where we stop, with what's right in front of us. And Paul is saying, no, no, there's more. There's more to discover the, the maturity of the church, maturity of the believers, and, and, and like I had forgotten to do, the very first lesson that, that Paul gives us is look up. See, I was just looking at the width of the tree at its base. The, the forester had, had told us, you have to look up. You have to see the height of the tree. You have to look. Are the branches all the way up? That's a, a young tree. Or is it a tree that has stretched so that the branches don't begin until near the top? Is it a tree that has a, 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 a healthy um, healthy branches at the top, the, the, the cone ratio of, of those branches to the rest of the... I was, I was supposed to have been taking all of that into consideration. But I was just staring at what's right in front of me. And, and do you see what Paul is, is telling us? Do you want to grow? What are the factors for growth? He says, first of all, look up. Look at verse 7. This discussion of the gifts Christ gives to the church, the spiritual gifts, the, the leadership he gives to the church, it begins by Paul forcing us to look up. He says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We have to look first to Christ. Everything we have is a gift Christ has given. And that, that idea of Christ giving gifts is repeated. It's right there in verse 7. It's in the quotation at the end of verse 8 from Psalm 68, that Christ, the God, gave gifts to men. And then it's repeated in verse 11. It was he, Christ, who gave some. This is all about the gifts of Christ. And so Paul reminds us, we must look up to Christ because where is Christ now? He has ascended into heaven. That's the starting point for our spiritual growth is to acknowledge the lordship, the authority, the power and dominion of Jesus. And so Paul, we, we see this in verse 8, he, he uses the quotation from Psalm 68. Now you already heard this in our worship service because we read it as a call to worship today. This reminder that, that when God ascended on high, he led captives in his train and, he, and gave gifts to men. Now, as soon as the apostle uses that language of ascension, here in the psalm, thinking of going up to Jerusalem, to the place of worship, as, but as soon as Paul uses that language of ascension, he, he thinks of Christ's ascension. He's forcing us to look up to look up to Christ. And that's what he, what he explains in verses 9 and 10. Now, in my translation, in the, the ones you have in front of you in the pews, those verses, verses 9 and 10, are in parentheses. Almost as if we're being told by the translators, this is, this is an aside. This is not part of the main flow of the argument, which is, which is fair, because Paul is talking about the, the, the ascension of Christ, the gifts that Christ gave. And verse 11 flows very clearly from that, that Christ gave some to be apostles. But, but you notice, as soon as Paul starts talking about Jesus, what happens? He just gets carried away. He, he thinks of the ascension of Christ, and he can't stop himself. He can't stop himself. He, he says, but, but what does it mean that he ascended? In verse 9, it means that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, that Christ, who is the king of heaven, came down to earth in his incarnation, that Christ, the King of heaven, died in our place. And, and what has he now done? 
He's ascended not merely to the top of Mount Zion. He has ascended where in verse 10? Higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so, yes, it's appropriate for our translators to, to give us these verses in, in parentheses. But really, maybe, maybe you could take and star those parentheses because in one sense, yes, they're an aside from the whole argument, but they are the center of the whole argument. That it is Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf, which is the starting point for our growth in the gospel. He is the foundation for the church as we have sang. He is the one into whom we will all be built up, verse 12. And he is the one who reigns as the king of the whole universe. See, the authority, the lordship of Jesus Christ shows us that he is the victorious king of all. That's where we start for our growth. And verse 11 then says that, that it was Christ, the one who has ascended into the heavens. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. The apostles and prophets, the, that, those, those foundational roles in the church of proclaiming the truth of the gospel there to make sure we had the, the word of God authoritatively written for us. The continuing ministry of evangelists reminding us that, that the growth of the church is not merely so that we become, uh, become big and strong ourselves, but so that the, the gospel is spread to everyone, everywhere. We are meant to evangelize the world, to share this good news. We're told that there at the end of verse 11 that Christ gave some to be pastors and teachers, to be those who shepherd the flock. That's the role of the pastor, to protect, to correct, to care for the church, to teach the church so they will hear the gospel. That's the, the role of, of the church. The, the pastor is God's gift to the church. All right, now some of you, some of you hear the, the potential danger in that, right? Because it's true. I just read it to you, verse 11. The pastor, teacher of the church, is God's gift to the church. But you, you know that that's not very far from this. I am God's gift to the church. Right? You, you, you instinctively understand that danger. And maybe, maybe even if you're not a believer, but you're here, that's the kind of thing that frightens you about Christianity, that, that, that frustrates you. That the Christians you know, they seem so full of themselves. But is, is that second statement really true at all? No. What does it mean that a pastor is a gift of Christ to the church? That he's merely a tool being used by God. That everything that, that he has for the church was a gift given to him. See, see, true gospel humility means that the closer we get to Christ, the less we're, we're tempted to take glory from him. And the more we're, we're equipped to give glory to him. But, but it's a real danger. That's why Jesus is regularly telling his disciples, those closest to him, that they should not lord it over others, that they should not seek places of high honor for themselves, that, that the service to God's church is really that. It's the work of a servant to glorify Christ. Leaders help the church serve. They help the church grow. Look at why. Why have leaders been given to the church? Why did Christ, the ascended Lord, put leaders in the church? What are we to grow into? See, see we've looked high to the tree, 
to, to its top to see does it, does it reach to the sun? Is it healthy? Do we see the Savior there, church? And now we come down to see in practical ways, what does this growth look like? Why is that skinny, straggly tree, why hasn't it grown bigger in all its years? See, because the measure of maturity is not how long you have been a Christian. It's how much you have grown in the gospel, how close you are to Christ. And so some of you, even with, with many growth rings, with many years behind you, have to say, I need to grow now. So what are we to grow into? Look at, look at verse 12. The leaders of the church are there to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, Paul, he, he continues to get carried away here. He speaks of the, the lordship of Christ, that Christ is Lord over all. But what does he say? What is the church? What are you to become? We are to reach unity in the faith. We are to reach maturity so that we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what you and I are meant to grow into, grow into gospel unity, a unity by which the, the message of salvation that we claim is the message that we share. Now, because we were, we were on this, this hemlock tour by ourselves, I could just keep peppering this poor forester with, with questions. And so I, I asked, because he had, he had explained that, that that even in the short distance that we drove from here in Delaware to, to northern Pennsylvania, that, that the soil is much different. See, the, the trees here can stretch themselves deep into the ground to grow to great heights, but the trees there have much less soil in which to, 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 to anchor themselves. And so how, does the, how do these trees grow to such enormous heights? It's because their roots don't, don't stretch down, they stretch out. They intertwine with one another. There's a, a unity in these trees. And so he's telling me about how they've, how they've put isotopes into the trees and you can find them as they go through the... I didn't, it didn't make any sense to me either. But they know that these trees, because I'm not saying it right either, but they know that these trees grow together. They can reach great heights because they are united together. That's the picture that, that, that we're being given here. What, what are we to do? Verse 12, we are prepared to serve one another. You know, I'd like a, a different option, right? I'm okay with the end of, of verse 13, the full measure of the wholeness of Christ, but how do I get there? Through service, through serving others, so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. It's an image of, of humility, of, of verse 13, of unity in the gospel, unity in the faith in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, so that we might become mature. Now, now how is it then that, that this unity and maturity can help us as a church? How do they help? Look, look at verse 14. They, they help us avoid a real danger here. Unity and maturity, maturity help us avoid this danger. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Now, Paul's just throwing metaphors at you, images at you. One, you're, you're, we're here. We, we just saw we're a church being built up in great works of service. We're a church that's growing, this organic metaphor. But here, the image of, of infants, of spiritual infants, those that, that whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're a brand new Christian, you don't, 
know right from wrong. You don't have the knowledge of the Son of God. You haven't gained maturity yet. And so the unity and maturity of the church protects us from trusting our own foolish ideas, protects us from from getting ourselves in trouble. And and then he throws another metaphor here of a ship being tossed back and forth, a a ship without a rudder to to drive through the storm, a, a ship being blown here and there by every wind, by every teaching, by every false idea that comes along. And, and culturally, some of the, the contrasts between what God's word teaches. See, if you're just being blown around, well, how would you sail a straight path? You would, you would need a way to guide yourself. You need an authoritative source, the truth, here in Scripture. And some of the cultural contrasts, <clears throat> some of the cultural contrasts are, are clear. We can look at what the Bible teaches about sexual ethics and, and look at what our culture teaches and say those, those don't match. We can look at what the, the Bible teaches about, about who we are made in the image of God and our identity, our gender even, and we can look at the culture and see that it doesn't match. Now, while the contrast is clear, I'm not saying it's easy to live the gospel truth. I'm not saying it's easy to, to, to orient ourselves by the truth of God's word. I'm just saying the contrast is clear. But then there are some, some cultural contrasts that for us are harder to see, harder to imagine, because we, we swim in the, in the cultural soup. We, we go along with the flow. We're being tossed about, and we don't even notice it, the materialism of our culture. And sadly, some of the, the tragedies of recent weeks have, have reminded us of this, of those who have lost everything in fires or floods, acknowledging that stuff is just stuff. And yet we don't see it in our own hearts. Or the idea in our culture that that salvation can be gained through a political process. Now, I'm not saying anybody is happy with that process right now, but but many put their trust and hope in that. And we we too as Christians can place our, our trust in politics. See, some of the contrast might be harder for us to see. And that's why instead of being infants in the, in the faith, being tossed back and forth, we need others to, to show us the, the unity of the faith, to point us back to this is what we believe. We need people to stand alongside us and, and help us move toward maturity. So unity and maturity help us avoid these dangers. But then look at the positive side of it in verse 15, the way in which unity and maturity positively help us. The contrast here from verse 14 into 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. See, we're meant to speak the truth in love. Rather than be tossed about, what do we have? We have truth. And so it needs to be spoken. We have, we saw last week, the the one faith, the one hope of the gospel. We have one Lord to whom we can turn. And so we have this gospel message. We've seen already in this passage the, the, the teaching that, that God has called some to be evangelists, to make the gospel known. That's the mission of the church, to make the gospel known everywhere. And, and one commentator makes the argument here in verse 15 that this, this phrase, speaking the truth, is the description of proclaiming the gospel elsewhere when Paul uses it. And whether or not it, it's broader than that or it's narrow, the context of those being called to be apostles and prophets and evangelists. The mission of the church in growing the church 
is clear that you and I must speak the truth. You and I have true hope. And we have neighbors who are being tossed around without hope. Will you speak the truth? I mean, this week, this week, who will you share this gospel with? Grab an extra invitation to Faith Explored on your way out today and think, whose hand can I place this in? Bring someone to, faith, or to, to our Pioneer Club's ministry on Wednesday. Who can you share the message with? You and I have truth. And if we love others, then we'll speak this truth. See, we, we see the importance of speaking truth in love, but many of us hesitate to do so. Not just to share the gospel with unbelievers, but we hesitate to do so because it can be hard to speak the truth to our fellow believers. You and I are tempted to say, I, I don't want to involve myself. It's, it's not my place. No, if, if a brother or sister in Christ needs to hear truth, then Paul says it is your place. That's how you're going to grow in the gospel. That's how the church will grow in the gospel. Speak the truth in love. But, but you and I also see some of the dangers. See, some of us, we're not hesitant to speak, and I'm glad to share with you the truth. If you want a list of complaints, I've got them. I've got one for you, I've got one for the church, and I've got a small one for myself. But if you want to hear truth, I can tell you truth. But truth divorced from love, what is that? That's selfishness. That's self-righteousness. That's me coming and lording it over you and saying this is what is true. You and I need to speak truth. How? In love. To care for others. To serve them. But then some of us, we're, we're tempted. Yes, we'll, we're willing to love people. But we hesitate to speak the truth. See, we... We don't want to in, insert ourselves. We don't want to create waves. We don't want to mess things up. But what is it to love someone without sharing the truth with them? It's a cowardly self-indulgence. You see, truth without love is self-righteousness. Love without truth is, is, is self-indulgence. They're both selfish. Truth with love is the gospel that you and I have to share to strengthen others, to encourage them. And you and I have the, the greatest truth, the gospel hope. Again, what, is, what does Paul do? As soon as he speaks of the ascension, he says, look up at the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is king over all. And so church, you've not been abandoned. You've not been left alone. The king has ascended on high and given you all that you need. The gifts are yours. Jesus is the Lord. He is the one who gives the gift of leaders to the church to, to teach, to proclaim so that you and I are prepared for service, each one of us to serve others, as we pursue unity and maturity in the gospel by clinging to the gospel truth, the truth of God's word, by speaking the truth in love. But there's one final reminder Paul gives us in this passage as he, as he wraps up this section. Look at verse 16. From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you and I might, 
we might misunderstand this. When we, when we see the, the glory and the lordship of Christ, yes, we're meant to, to worship him, but not, not out of inaction. Because Christ is Lord, you and I are empowered to serve. We might look and say, but look, Christ has given us leaders. They will serve. No, Christ gave us leaders so that you and I would be prepared to serve. This final reminder is that the, the church only grows when every supporting ligament grows and when the church builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you and I are being called to grow in the gospel, to grow in gospel unity, to grow in gospel maturity. At my sister's house, she keeps track of, of each of the nieces and nephews on a, on a door frame at her house. And so when they come, sometimes it can be a couple of years between visits. And so there can be great growth from 2015 to 2017 in some of these nieces and nephews. And she keeps track. The, the adults are each measured just once. Although I, we have had a grandmother ask to be measured again to see if she's going the, the other direction. But, but the, the highest name on that list is Uncle Ben. His, his height more than a foot taller than my sister. He, but, but each of the kids, you can see some of the, the nephews starting to creep up close. See, if we were to measure your life, your spiritual growth, not on a door frame, but by these standards, by your willingness to serve, by your commitment to the truth, by your willingness to speak truth in love, what does it look like? See, Paul is saying, look up. Jesus Christ is the standard by which you and I are meant to be measured. And he is Lord of all. He is the king, the sovereign ruler. And so will you pursue gospel truth? Will you pursue the unity of the church? Will you speak truth and do it in love? Paul is telling us, church, it's time to grow up. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word confronts us with, with both the reality that, that we need to pursue gospel unity, we need to pursue gospel maturity, but also this great comfort that Jesus Christ is the king who reigns over all. So Lord, as we pray for those that have not acknowledged Jesus to be the Lord, to be their savior, that they would do so now, seeing that his death pays the penalty for our sins. Lord, let them, by the work of your Spirit, even as we pray, come and acknowledge their sins to you. Lord, I pray that this week you would make us as believers, as a church, bold in our gospel witness. We pray for families who will join us on Wednesday night for the Faith Explored Information and Dessert Night. Lord, we pray that they would hear the gospel. They would respond. We pray for families that join us on Wednesday as Pioneer Club's launches that these children in hearing the gospel would, would share this gospel message with their families. And Lord, I pray that you would now, as we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ as a church, that you would burden us this week with our classmates and teammates, our coworkers and neighbors, our family members that need to hear this gospel. Lord, that we would be bold to speak the truth in love. Help us to do that one with another as well as believers in the gospel, pointing each other, growing with each other, strengthening each other, and serving together. 
Lord, we rejoice that Jesus Christ is the King of all. And so we look up to him, the exalted Lord. Amen.